As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Hey, Michael, I have a question for you. (laughs) I feel like we start a lot of episodes this way, but uh, yeah, no, go ahead. Shoot. Okay. What do scientists and some of the best product people actually have in common? Oh boy. Um, Is there a punchline to this? No, I'm actually being serious. Really? What do you think? Okay. Well, I suppose that good product people are always testing something, right? Aren't they? And scientists seem to do a lot of tests too. You nailed it. Uh, I was going to say scientists and the best product people, they're always running experiments, setting hypotheses in place and then validating or invalidating. And I imagine that this episode of Rocket Ship is all about experimentation. You nailed it. Welcome to rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka and Mike Belsito. 
So product experimentation, who do you have lined up to dig into this a bit with us? Well, when it comes to experimentation, there aren't too many companies that I can think of that really know the space well, better than Optimizely. I mean, the entire company is built to help other organizations conduct experiments. Their main product is essentially an experimentation platform. Yeah, Optimizely is one of the the big companies that comes to mind when I think of product experiments. And I actually went to the same school as one of its co-founders, Pete Kuman. I was in business school when he was an undergraduate student at Case Western Reserve University. Very cool. Were you guys pals? No, we actually didn't even know each other back then. But <laughs> but later on, I did get to know Pete. And actually, he spoke at my conference, Industry, in 2017. Um, and afterwards, he connected me to Optimizely's VP of product, Claire Vo. And I did spend some time talking about product experiments with Claire. And she definitely knows her stuff. And what did you learn? Well, first things first, I learned why experimentation can be helpful to product people and product teams in the first place. Here's Claire with her take on that. It really allows you to diffuse opinions, even your own opinions. It helps you eliminate guessing, which is always fun, and focus on really what what delivers value for the customer. So I don't think it's just A-B testing. I really think it's a way of running your business differently and what your mindset is towards growth. It's how, as a leader, you think about making decisions. It's not just this like top-down edict, but it's a democratized process where anyone can have an idea or hypothesis. Um, You can experiment on it, and then you can validate it or not. And that's how I see the best companies in the world run their businesses. It's how Facebook runs their business, how Amazon and Netflix, all these amazing large companies that we would all aspire to build and grow is how they run their organization. And so if that's how they do it and they put experimentation at the center of what they do, why wouldn't you do the same? Um, And then I think kind of selfishly and practically, I think it delivers some of the most straightforward ROI of anything you can do as a product person, right? You do a thing or you don't do a thing, um, you test it, and you know whether or not it makes your business better or makes your business more money. Uh, I, I see very few things that are as simple and straightforward as that. The great part of experimentation is you can prove the impact you made. Facebook, Amazon, Netflix. It sounds like all the cool kids are experimenting with this stuff these days. <laughs> yeah. Well, in all those companies, I mean, whether you're a fan or, you know, you just kind of don't think anything of them at all, but they know how to run their businesses really, really well. They have massive businesses. So how did Claire get into this world of product experimentation? Well, Claire actually started A-B testing horses. Horses. Yes, horses. The first A-B test I ran, I work at a company called U-Ship. They are a online shipping marketplace and they help uh, customers ship all sorts of bizarro things. And one of the things I was doing as my first A-B test was trying to make shipping horses easier. Apparently there are about 19 steps you have to fill out to ship a horse. I was like, hmm, what if we made this six steps? Um, And that was my first taste of really what experimentation can do is it can help improve your product. It can help improve your customer experience. And you can validate as a product person if your ideas are good or bad from a business perspective through data. And so I think that's just really powerful from a personal perspective. It really inspired me as a 
product manager in my first job to really take my ideas not as good or bad, but as something that could be tested. And I've worked at a series of startups at varying stages and large enterprises. And I'll say that experimentation was at the center of the most excellently run and then highest performing companies. So take, you know, Claire's brained data set as as your sample set. But really, I saw the difference between companies who put experimentation at the center of what they did and how they performed and companies that didn't. So I've heard Claire mention how these massively successful companies are all experimenting. We mentioned some names before. Yes. And well, one of those names, Amazon, Claire actually recalls something that its CEO, Jeff Bezos, has said in the past. And it's always really stuck with her. He says the success of Amazon is based on how many experiments he does per week, per month, per day. Um, So it's really critical for Amazon's success, which is extremely large company, that they're experimenting um, not every year, not every month, not every week, but every single day and, and to the tune of tens of thousands of experiments going on at any one time. So I think experimentation is absolutely critical across all stages of a business. But I believe, in fact, it can be more important for established companies because it helps you maintain your competitive advantage and fend off all these new digital disruptors, some of whom may be in the room today. And then I think the other thing is larger companies can get stuck in the way things always have been done, right? So you're kind of have this... um, the state, the stagnation, and experimentation can jolt those teams out of kind of the way business is already operated and open up some pretty exciting opportunities. That's really cool. It goes to show you that this isn't really a startup versus enterprise thing. Experimentation is something that all types of organizations can really get into. Yeah, and probably should get into. I wonder if it's easier for one versus the other, though. Well, that's a good question. I mean, if you're a larger organization, you certainly have more data to work with, and that data can help you inform whether the experiment's working. When you're a startup, you don't necessarily have all that data if you don't have the users. But I remember a time when a company that I was working for, it wasn't a massive company, but it was one that had a product with a lot of users, millions of users. And I remember trying to experiment with different things, but A lot of the people in the organization, they were very, very hesitant to do that. Why would they be hesitant? Well, I'd keep hearing them say things like, we have so many users. If we experiment and things go wrong, like that can be a risky thing. So um, did you mention this to Claire? I did. And although I will say she had a different take than those former colleagues of mine. I think that not experimenting is riskier. Actually, I worked at some, un, I'll say, unnamed, very, very large company. And I was told, you know what, Claire? You're really too obsessed with testing and you just, you need to make decisions from your gut. And I was like, oh my gosh. I just like, I don't think this company is going to go in the right direction. That seems extremely risky. Like, I think I'm pretty smart, um, but I don't think we should be, you know, betting the company on my guess. Um, so I think not experimenting is riskier. And I think you can paint that portrait for your executive or leadership team pretty easily. I know tons of companies that have launched new products. They've done redesigns. They've even done little tweaks that have lost them millions and millions of dollars. So with a test, if it performs poorly, or maybe you do like a monitored feature rollout, you can pull the plug really quickly. So you can say, oh, I'm monitoring the data. This is actually doing work. Let's turn it off. And so you can avoid most of the downside. Um, It's much harder to undo a bad decision if you don't have that infrastructure or that experimentation culture in place, right? Because the new decision set, it's usually technically implemented. Um, People don't 
haven't ever thought of like pulling the plug and rolling it back based on data. And so you end up losing a lot more with not experimenting. That being said, I think it's fair to say that experimentation, people make mistakes, people launch experiments that lose. Um, and that's where I think governance and oversight really come into play. It's important to know who is monitoring the results. Um, what are your rules for stopping, right? If something out of the gate in the first day drops your conversion rate by 30%, even if it hasn't quite reached statistical significance, where are you from a risk tolerance perspective on letting that test continue to run? If you set those rules ahead of time and you have somebody monitoring and responsible, those are all reasonable things that you can mitigate with the right process. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Now, back to the show. So if you are a larger company, a massive enterprise, you can and should experiment, but you definitely want to have a process for it. You want to make sure that the oversight is there. Yes. And if you have a culture of experimentation in place, this becomes second nature to have this kind of setup within your company. So did you have any of these oversight mechanisms and processes in place at that company that you worked at, you know, back in the day? Are you kidding me? I had no idea what I was doing. No, no. Anyways, I don't know. We can move on. I think we should do that. <laughs> so actually, though, you shouldn't put yourself down too much, right? It, it sounds like maybe that organization just didn't have the experimentation embedded into its culture, like a lot of our modern Silicon Valley companies that, that we see and model ourselves after. Um, and so changing culture, that takes a lot of effort. Well, that's true. All right. Well, thank you for letting me off the hook, Michael. <laughs> but I do wonder what types of things it takes to change a culture to be more experimentation centric. Claire did actually say something about how product people can at least help move things along in this direction. She talked about simply asking a simple question when conversations come up about products that the team is launching. You can say, well, how would you test that? Or how did you validate that that was a good idea? How do we know this is adding value? Um, and that's a really good way to just get people to start thinking about, hmm, I actually don't know if it, it added value. And then as people come up with new ideas, it's always the question, how would you test that? How did we test that? Or how would we test that? It's simple enough. Yes. And of course, just by asking that question, that in itself doesn't change a culture, but it might get people thinking a little bit differently. Interesting. So changing gears a bit, uh, but Things like prototyping and getting prototypes in front of users. These are, are things that most companies are doing these days or want to be doing these days. Um, does that count as a type of experimentation, the, the type that Claire is advocating for? Well, sort of. I, Claire talks about this a little bit here. We'll, we'll just go right to that now. This term experimentation is a fairly broad one. Um, and optimizely, we specifically mean it to refer to A-B testing, multivariate testing, and product rollouts. So sort of these uh, mechanisms by which with your production users or your real users, you validate an idea with data and statistics. So um, those are the kind of um, capabilities that we talk about when we think about experimentation. But absolutely, they're a lighter weight data gathering methodologies that you can use to get early insights into what's performing or not. Um, those probably won't come with the statistical rigor of something like an A-B test or a multivariate test or a rollout, um, but they are valid in getting early insight into how your product's performing. So those sorts of things would be prototyping, getting you know user testing, early user testing, user surveys. All those sorts of things are little, um, little experiments. They're not statistically valid, but they are ways to gather kind of um, 
qualitative data about how your product or design would perform. I think they're worthwhile things. And then I think they're absolutely something that should feed into your ideation queue. So once you prototype something, gotten relatively positive feedback, well then it's how do we productionize this and test it with real world users? And then how do we circle that back to the next next product we, we prototype? So I think it's a really important part of the process. It's just the distinction I would make is between sort of statistically and scientifically rigorous uh, testing and experimentation or data gathering in sort of more of a qualitative way. So we've learned a lot from Claire. What about the mistakes, the things that she notices product people doing when it comes to experimentation that, you know, they probably shouldn't be doing? Yes, yes. Well, I did ask Claire about that. And yes, there are a few common mistakes that do come to mind. The first is not resourcing it. You know, when you're running one or two experiments per month, it's really easy for half of a product manager to consider it their job. But if you never add resources, you never give a dedicated developer or a dedicated program manager, it's never going to scale and you're going to be leaving a lot of opportunity on the tables. Um, The second thing I see is not maintaining discipline and velocity. People will run tons of experiments for six months in a row and then stop for three or four months. I think you should be running an experiment every day. If you're not, you have a problem. And then finally, I think not socializing and sharing results is such a huge miss. Often those results and those learnings are kept kind of in the best case in a spreadsheet or wiki and in the worst case in someone's brain. It's really important to create a repeatable system for managing experimentation results so that it can be shared across the organization. You can maximize value. So not resourcing experimentation properly, not maintaining the right kind of discipline or cadence in running experiments and not having a system to share and keep track of the results of the experiments. Did did I get those right? You got those perfectly right, Michael. All right. Well, I'm glad that you had a good conversation with Claire. Did she give any parting advice for for product people? Well, it's funny you ask. It's really simple. Always be testing. I just, if every product person in the world was running at least an experiment a day, we would have significantly better businesses. We'd have significantly better products. I think as end customers, we'd have much more delightful experiences. And so my challenge to everyone is get to a point where you're running every day. You have a live experiment. Every day, run a live experiment of some sort. Yes, because as Claire says, and I think she's inspired a bit by Alec Baldwin here. Wait, is this going to be a Saturday Night Live reference? No, but it will be a Glengarry Glenn Ross reference. Ah, great movie. Yes, and as Alec Baldwin's character gave directive to his salespeople, always be closing, Claire has hers, always be testing. Always be testing. Love it. <laughs> 